This week is going to be our last week in Philippians. Uh, crazy. This is a short book, uh, but it has so much that is packed into it. Uh, I cannot stress that enough, how much goodness is packed into just four chapters. Uh, and we see that because, well, one, like I said in the beginning, every single week I said this is my favorite verse, and I was going to do that again to annoy everybody. But uh, there's so many scriptures in Philippians that I've come back to time and time and time again, and the the entire book just speaks to how we as a church can, t- can continue to mature and grow and realize that even though Paul didn't necessarily write this letter uh, angry or upset at what was happening in the church, there were still ways that they could grow and could mature as a people. And and taking that and realizing that there are so many great things that our church has been able to grow through in such a short period of time, like the Philippian church, uh, but there are still ways that we can mature and grow and learn from what Paul was sharing here. And so we are in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 23, and I'm going to be preaching on partnering in the gospel. If you remember when we first opened up the book of Philippians, I talked about, uh, well, you, you see that Paul is essentially saying thank you to them for what they've done. They have partnered with him in his work in the gospel. They have literally taken care of his physical financial needs with a gift that was brought by Epaphroditus. Uh, and this week, so he starts off the the book like that, and he ends the book like that, and just thanking them. But he goes into a little bit more depth than last week. Uh, before we read this read scripture, I want us to remember last week's scripture, where uh, Paul started this in Philippians chapter four, verses ten. He says this: "I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So last week he kind of started to thank them, but he starts to thank them, then says this whole beautiful uh, stuff on contentedness and being able to go through every season with the help of Jesus. And then he gets back into the thank you. So essentially Paul says this, he says, thank you, Christ would have sustained would have sustained me without it like he always does yet yet which is the important part verse 14 you can read along with me yet it was kind of you to share my trouble right Christ would have sustained me I've gone through abundance I've gone through need I've gone through highs I've gone through low and I can do it all through Christ Jesus yet thank you for your kindness It was kind of you to share in my trouble. Verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those 
and Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, be with your spirit. And so as Paul started off that, I'll start off uh, today's sermon as we talk about partnering in the gospel, that uh, everyone um, that does give or uh, may be thinking about giving or may start giving, the thing to you is thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For everybody that has partnered with Zion financially in the work that we are doing, thank you. Uh, we, you know, there is a, as Paul says, uh, there there is a very practical need and a very practical way to say thank you of like, look at, look at all the ways that God is working. Look at all that God is doing, how he has sustained us. Uh, we are a three-year-old church, but God has worked so mightily in those past three years. And we have been able to do so much because of the gifts of so many people that are participating today. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and the, the thing is that as, as we talk about partnering in the gospel, uh, as Paul said to the Philippians, I'll, I'll mention here, whether we individually, personally give or not, Christ will sustain he will sustain. That is a fact. God will sustain his church and he will sustain his people. That is a promise that he gives over and over and over again. But I, I hope to show this today, that if you aren't giving, that you are deeply missing out on something that will deeply bless your life, as Paul is describing here. And if you are giving, then I want to do this. I want to open up your eyes a little bit more to a greater depth of what it means to financially partner in the gospel and, and be a part of the mission of Jesus. Because Paul lays out some just beautiful things here as he says to the Philippian church, as he is thanking them for what they are doing, and, and he is opening up their eyes to see more fully the impact of what their gift is making uh, to him and to the church at large. So the first thing Paul says is this. He says that their gift was a partnership. And we're going to, and you read that in verse 15. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. When you give to the church, when you are giving to the work of God, it is like entering into a business partnership. And I'm going to explain what that means. Uh, where you, you share in the rewards, you take joy in its success and the fruit of it, and you are vital to its sustainability. How do I know that this is the kind of partnership Paul was talking about? There's some clues that he gives that really show that this is the type of partnership Paul is talking about when he says this. He says, he says a couple of things. He's, first of all, there were churches that Paul did not let partner with him. That uh, he, he explicitly told them, I wanted none of your uh, gifts and I, and I didn't let you give me anything financially. Uh, and if anybody has ever started a business or you think, and, or you think about starting a business, the, usually one of the first thoughts you think about is who is going to be my partner, right? Who is going to partner up with me? And many businesses uh, fail or succeed because of the partners that they choose. And so uh, Paul was literally uh, had churches that had partnered with him, the Philippian church. He was saying, you guys became a partner in the work that I was doing. Uh, 
Uh, and, and that was significant. He was essentially connecting his work and what he was doing with them and, and with their gifts. And we know that if you are going to do something, you partner with people that you love, people that are friends. If you, you've read Philippians with me now, this, in, this last few months, you realize that these were friends of Paul. He named so many people by name. He helped planted that church. He has deep affection for these people. It's obvious that they have deep affection for him. These are friends that he has partnered with in his life's work to bring the gospel to many. When we get to verse 17, we have another context clue here that uses this business language around profit sharing, around Paul saying, you are going to profit along with me in what is happening and what is going on right now. And then the third thing, we read that when Paul gives his ministry update, you know, this is very much uh, what would be expected to send to your partners. You know, I think of the ministries that I partner with outside of, of the church or I give to them financially. And what do they do? They every once a month, they send an update. Like one of the ministries I give to is InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Because it impacted my life so deeply as a college student, I want to help partner with them to make sure other college students can continue to be impacted with the gospel like I was on their college campus. You know, it completely changed the trajectory of my life. And, and so because of that, I financially partner with them and the people that I do partner with, they send me updates once a month and I can have joy in the work that is happening that in the fruit that is taking place within my giving to them. And so when you give, you are partnering in a work and there are so many beautiful things that come with partnership in a work that I don't want to be lost on us. You know, this is where Jesus says this, that your where your treasure is, your heart is as well. Wherever you are invested in, those are the places that you want to see succeed, right? If, if you make an investment, uh, I know there has been a lot of kind of, you know, a lot of day traders that have popped up overnight with the market crash. And the reason why is because a lot of people are saying, oh, the market is down. If you ever go to business school, there's one thing that you learn about the stock market. And this is the golden rule. Buy low, sell high, right? That is, that is the rule of the stock market. Now, how do you know where the lows are and how do you know where the highs are? That's a totally different story. Uh, most of it is gambling, in my opinion, unless you really know what you're doing. Um, but that is the rule of the stock market. So if anybody has become a new investor in the last six months, there's been a lot of opportunity uh, to invest, right? The, the understanding is when you invest, now what do you have? You have a vested interest in this succeeding. And when it does succeed, that brings you joy. You are happy. Why? Because you see your investment grow. You see the success of, of, of what is happening. You are probably praying for that company. You are probably, you know, following the news reports of what they're doing, how they are reacting to all the different stages of what's been going on, reacting to the pandemic, reacting to everything. Why? Because you have a vested interest in how and, and what happens and how they're reacting and what they're doing. And so it's the same thing that when where you we put our treasure is, there is this principle that Jesus talks about, that where you put your treasure, that is where your heart is. That's where your investment is. That's what you're going to care about. That's what you're going to see yourself as a partner. And that's where you're going to want to be a see a success. That's why when 
people become a member of our church, we one of the things that members do is give because we I want to know, is your heart here? Is your treasure here? Because if your treasure is not here, then your heart is not here. And if your heart is not here, how can you truly be part of the body of what God is doing here? This, this is a, a principle of the world where we put our treasures, where we put the things, um, where, where we put our treasure, the things that we love, these are the things that we are vested in, that we put our time into, that we put our effort into, that we care about, that we want to see succeed, that we want to see grow. And so when we give to the church, I think it's really important that we don't just think about giving uh, to gospel work, giving to a church, giving to whatever ministries that we give to. We have to stop thinking that it's giving out of obligation and think about it as an investment. Think about it as what I am doing is I am investing into the work of the kingdom. I am investing into the mission. I am investing to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17. He says that, Paul says that he received the investment, he received the finances, he received the gift for their benefit, for the church's benefit. In verse 17, listen. He says, not that I seek the gift. I'm not seeking the what you brought to me. I'm not seeking the finances, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, if you have an ESV Bible uh, or probably, I don't know if other translations uh, have it this way for this, but most good translations, they'll have marks next to uh, either words or phrases that could be translated differently. And so this is one of those phrases that could be translated differently, The where he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. There's a mark there on the ESV, and if you go to the bottom and you read the asterisk, it could be translated this way. I seek the profit that accrues in your account. So Paul is saying, I'm receiving this gift. I'm receiving what you're giving me, not for me. Why? Because in anything, I know that Jesus will sustain me in all that I am and all that I have. I'm receiving it because I want you to reap the benefits of partnering in the work of the gospel, in the kingdom, because I know that what you are investing in, you are going to accrue a profit in what is happening. You know, there's this old Pentecostal trick that I love and I still use today, that if you ever want to give somebody a gift, I'm going to teach you all some some old school Pentecostal trick right now. You ever want to pay for someone's meal or you ever want to give a gift to somebody and they tell you no, this is what you got to do. You got to say, don't rob me of my blessing. Don't rob me of my blessing. So anytime, next time you want to pay for something, you want to give somebody, and they're like, no, I don't want it, I don't receive it, tell them, don't rob me of my blessing. Why? (laughs) Because this is a Pentecostal trick that whenever I want to give, I'm going to make sure that you get it because now you saying no is going to rob me of the thing that is going to happen in my credit. You are taking away the profit that will accrue in me partnering and blessing you and what you're doing. I love that Pentecostal trick because it works every time. Um, and what when Paul receives this gift, he receives the gift because of the benefit that we'll have for the church in Philip uh, in Philippi. So if you are giving, then know that you have profit that has been accruing in your name, in the kingdom of God. When you invest 
in something. I, I you know, I, I talked about kind of the stock market in a lot of ways being gambling because it how I see it used a lot. You know, I got my degree in finance and essentially uh you know, when we sat down and we were thinking through investing, um, we talked about all the different market market factors. There's a lot of theories. One theory is that the market is the most rational, behaves very rationally. Uh, and then there are other theories that the market behaves irrationally. There are more theories about the stock market and how it works. And if there are huge uh, hedge funds and these companies that have algorithms that kind of are predictive and trying to figure out what does what. And there are methods to some madness. Um, but many times when I see people do things, it essentially is gambling. Well, I'm throwing my money in here and I'm going to keep throwing and keep throwing and keep throwing in uh, to this one stock. And then boom, I could lose it all in a day. I can get it all in a day. And just like there are professional gamblers that know that, you know, they literally live in Atlantic City. I have friends that what they do as a profession is they make money uh, at Atlantic City or at Las Vegas because they have gotten good at reading people. They have gotten good at reading the table. There are people that are good at reading the market. They they have created a system that gets to that. Uh, and and but so when we invest in these companies, sometimes we don't know. We right. We cannot predict the future fully. We don't actually know what is going to happen. There are very few times where you really can say, "Wow, this company is undervalued," and I'm going to put money in, knowing that they have a strong structure, they have a strong system. Uh, uh, that's what, um, how what's his name, Warren Buffett, made all his money because he didn't invest in gambles. He invested in companies that were undervalued. He knew that they had strong leadership, they had strong products, they had strong services. So when he invested in them, he knew that they would work out in the end. So there are so many times where we invest in something and we just kind of, you know, cross our fingers and hope for the best, man. I hope this doesn't crash, right? Like Forex trading is becoming a really big thing right now. I'm seeing so many online scams around Forex trading where it's it's this new form of MLM marketing uh, around getting people to do Forex and get other people to do Forex and you get blah, blah, blah. It's this whole pyramid scheme that has been going crazy on Instagram as of late. Um, but it's just kind of putting your money in and, and hoping for that fast money, hoping that things don't crash, hoping uh, that your commodity or foreign exchange doesn't go bad and that you can do good. Uh, when why, why do that when we can invest in the kingdom of God knowing that there is eternal treasure that is accruing, eternal profit, eternal treasure in heaven that is accruing on our behalf. This is an investment that will never be a bad investment. There won't ever be a time where I give to the work of God, I give to the kingdom of God and think that was a waste of money. There may be people that don't use it for the kingdom of God, and that may feel like a waste of money. But when I give to God's kingdom and it is being used for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God, and I'm obeying as God is calling me to be generous and to partner in his work that is happening globally, that is happening here centrally, what happens is I don't feel bad about that investment. I, I, I get joy and I, because I now am a partner in the work that is happening here on earth to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill, which is to see people get discipled, to see his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, to baptize people in his name, to see their lives transformed. This is an investment that I will never regret. And let me tell you, I have regretted so many of my 
investments. There's so many times where I thought, man, I shouldn't have put money here. I shouldn't have put money there. But there is one investment that I've never regretted. Every time that God has put on my heart to give, that every time I've given to his kingdom, I never regret that. Because I know that what I'm giving towards is is better than any company. It's better than anything that I can put my future in. It is giving towards the eternal work, the one mission that God has called all of us to give to. It is the building of the kingdom, and it is the spreading of the gospel. But the thing is, I know that a lot of pastors have twisted this around. And they've twisted it around so that they can benefit, not so that the people that are giving can benefit. And that's actually something that we have to be careful of. But I'm, I'm pleading with you, don't let the ones who have twisted this, don't let the bad apples ruin a great thing for you. And that's generosity. You know, I think in the church today, one of the, uh, our church, I would say a, a big portion of our church are, are people who came with previous church, bad church experiences. And one of the central things that have happened around bad church experiences that many here in Zion have come from is this bad theology around giving. It is it is an abuse of power that we've seen. It is abuse of money where we were giving not in partnership in the gospel so that the mission can go forward. We were giving so that a, a, a senior leader or one of the pastors could live lavishly uh, and could gain for their benefit, but not for the benefit of the people who are giving, not for the benefit of the mission of God. And that's something that we need to recognize, that this does happen, that this is true, that people have taken scripture and that they've twisted it and, and they've maligned it and 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 they've dirtied it and they've they've used it the same way the devil did when he tempted Jesus in in the desert where he took a scripture out of context and he said it to Jesus so that he can get his way to use it for his benefit. But Jesus said, nope, that is not how you're supposed to properly use that. I'm going to give a scripture in its true context. And so we've seen the prosperity gospel and it's, it's, it's not only people who preach prosperity gospel, but it's also happened a lot in the faith movement where this understanding of just like, if I, if I give it, if, if, if I have enough faith, if I give enough money, then whatever miracle I want, whatever I need in my life is going to happen because God is my slot machine and I'm only giving uh, for this, this greedy understanding of I want that house. And it, it is just a repeat of worldly systems where I want more for my kingdom, not more for the kingdom of God. And James uh, chapter four, James says, you don't receive what you ask because you ask wrongly. You ask out of your selfish desires and you ask to spend it on yourselves. It is not about giving, right? When this understanding of giving that we see in scripture is that when we are responsible with what we have, what will happen? God will give us more. Why? Not so we can spend it on ourselves, not so we can have more fame, more prestige, more more of the material things of the world, but so that we can increase our generosity. And so this is really important that when we think about this, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to go back to those times where we've seen scripture abused, where we've seen leaders abuse money, and we, and we have allowed those rotten apples to ruin one of the greatest 
principles in scripture, which is generosity. Jesus talked more about this topic than any other topic, more than heaven and hell. Why? Because how we use, how we spend our money, what we do with it speaks so much to our hearts. And I always say this, and it's really important to remember that when God said that there are two kingdoms, that there are two masters that compete for our heart, he didn't say it was the devil and it was God. He said it was money and it was God. It was money and it was the kingdom. Why? Because this is the false idol that every heart has served for all of time that has falsely assumed everything that God tells us he can give. Joy, contentedness, peace, all of these things. Money is the one God that has constantly set itself up against God. So we're actually battling two things here. On one extreme, we're battling the rotten apples that have have ruined scripture and have called it bad and have said, you know what, this is for my benefit. And then we're battling the greed of our hearts that are saying, no, I don't want to give up anything. I want this all for myself. And we're not allowing God to shape our hearts to be generous for the work that he is calling us to. And so we have to realize, we have to be self-aware about these two thoughts that are battling in our heart to stop something that God wants to do in transformation in our life. And we have to recognize those things that Paul is saying, and it is very clear from my life that this is true, that it will deeply benefit you when you Give your gift more than it benefits the church, more than it benefits any ministry, more than it benefits anything will deeply benefit you. This is a really important principle to understand. And and the reason why I go hard whenever I teach on this topic is because I see how important it is for each of us individually. Not giving to the work of God means missing out on what I think is the best partnership uh, and the best investment. And it is the thing that has changed, consistently changed and challenged my life to rely on God more than anything else in my life. I think if you have not been giving, then you are missing out on one of the greatest avenues of blessing that God allows for us to transform and change our heart. This is one of the tools that he consistently uses that we see in scripture over and over again for the renewal of our heart to be at work. So the reason why I talk about this is not because, um, you know, we just want a huge bank account, which is this false perception of what people have said, but it's because I want you to have deeper dependence on Christ like nothing else. And that's what this will help you do. And the, and the next verse actually gets into one of the greatest keys when you're talking about giving. And it's this, that giving is sacrificial. So if you read verse 18, Paul says this, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Right, He uses these keywords, fragrant offering. This calls back to the Old Testament sacrifices that were described. Uh, they were sacrificed and there were different incense and aromas used in these sacrifices. He literally says a sacrifice, meaning in this context, it was costly, that it costs them something to do this. It wasn't just, oh, you know, let me let me take out some change and throw it in the bucket. This wasn't some tip or an afterthought, but there was cost to it. If you, if I want you to listen to this in Second Samuel twenty-four verses twenty-two to twenty-four, we see a, a, an example in Scripture that really shows that giving must cost something. It says here then. 
Arana said to David, let my Lord, the King take and offer up what seems good to him. So David had sinned and God told him to do a sacrifice. And so David is about to do that. He finds somebody's land that he can do it on. And so this guy says, here, I have an idea. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, I give to you. And Anarus said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to him, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and and bought the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, right? David had sinned and he had to perform a sacrifice. And so this guy says, listen, I'm going to give you everything that you need to perform the sacrifice so that you can get right before God. And this is the sacrifice that Paul is calling to here in Philippians, this understanding of sacrifice. This is how he is describing what giving is, that it is, it is a beautiful, fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice pleasing before the Lord. And so this guy is going to give this sacrifice to David so that he can perform the sacrifice and become in right standing with God. But David says, no, you cannot give it to me for free because sacrifice must cost something. That is the whole point. That's where the idea of sacrifice, giving something up, that's where that meaning comes from, that when they were perform a sacrifice, the ritual of the sacrifice to God, it was literally sacrificial in the sense that they were giving something up. So David would not allow a sacrifice to come that was not sacrificial for him, that was free for him. This is something that had to sacrifice, right? This is important. People always debate on how much to give in the New Testament, right? Because there's debate to be had. What is the right percentage? We rely on what the Old Testament says as a standard is 10%, but there, there is a debate about what to give. Well, this is what I always say. It has to cost you something. We see that the standard for giving in the New Testament is not necessarily a number. It is a sacrifice. It has to cost you something. Whether you are a person of means or you are not a person of means, you have to constantly ask yourself this question. Am I giving sacrificially? Has it cost me something? Maybe it cost you some some of the coffee that you love, right? You had to cut out on that to be able to give. Maybe it cost you that second vacation that you wanted, or maybe it cost you that upgraded car that you are going to get. What has it cost you? It has to cost you something. Sacrificial giving means it costs you something to give it up. That like David would say, this is not going to cost me anything. I have to sacrifice in order to make this happen. I want to let you in on a little secret here that Paul keeps praising the Philippians for their generosity, but they were extremely poor. In 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Philippians and Thessalonians were part of the church of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So in their severe affliction, what two things happen, and we see both of those things in this letter that Paul writes into the Philippians. There is an abundance of joy and there is a 
extreme poverty that they had, but in those two things, when they came together, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, what happened? It overflowed out into deep generosity. Into deep generosity. Poverty is not an excuse to withhold from God. I'm going to give you two examples here. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. There was a Elijah, he went to a a widow once to get food. And I'm going to read from their exchange in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12. So Elijah goes and he asks this widow for food who God directed him to go talk to. And when he gets there and he asks her for the food that she was going to eat, this is her response in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Literally, this was her last meal that she was preparing that God had told Elijah to go and ask her for. And so Elijah asked her for it and she explains, this was my last meal after we ate this. Me and my son were planning to die, to just starve to death because we had nothing else. And she gives that meal to Elijah. This other example in the New Testament, think about the widow Jesus calls out in Luke. Luke chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. Listen, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. I think it's important that we don't ever lie to ourselves and say, when I have more, I will give. Because to receive more from God, he wants us to be responsible with the little that we have now, to be obedient in all that we have and in all that we do. It is very easy to look at our means and say, Whether if we are people of means to say, you know what, this is a large amount, I'm going to give that. But that's not sacrificial for us. God is calling us to sacrifice. It's easy if we don't, aren't people of means and we look at what we have and we say, well, I don't have enough. So I'm not going to be generous. And in both of those instances, we see constantly time and time again that God wants obedience more than he wants anything else in our life. When you think about all the ways you are giving to God, it should hurt your flesh to know all that it lost in sacrifice to Jesus's kingdom. You know, before we were talking, uh, I I had prepared this message. Heather and I were just having a conversation uh, about some stuff. And, you know, I'm not perfect. So sometimes I'll think about, uh, we were talking about just um, where we were and kind of some of the stuff that we wanted Um, And it came up in conversation that, well, you know, we could have had all that stuff if we never sacrificed and gave financially to what God had called us to give to. And when that came out in the conversation, our conversation changed from a place of mourning to a place of joy of, you know what, we are joyful where we are and we're no longer mourning those things that we don't have. I'm actually 
happy that we can mourn things because what that tells me is that there has been sacrifice on our part that has hurt us, that it would cause a place for our flesh when we are in our flesh to mourn the things that we don't have, but then to remember that they went into the kingdom and then to have joy and say, you know, it was worth it more for the kingdom of God to go forward than for the comfort of Justin and Heather on earth. It should sacrifice. It should hurt your flesh when you think about it. That's what sacrifice is, that man, I could have done something else with that, but instead I sacrificed it to God and with a joyful heart, I gave it to him knowing that it is better and it's his hands than where I wanted to put it. And here's the promise Paul leaves the Philippians church with. In verse 19, he says, generosity will always be met by God with generosity. Verse 19 says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to finish that story in 1 Kings 17 where the widow and her son were going to eat their last meal and die after that. But instead they obeyed and they were generous and they gave that meal to Elijah. Look at what happens in verse 13, 1 Kings 17, it says, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. We as people need to only worry about one thing. And that one thing that we need to worry about is obedience. God will worry about what we need to eat, what we need to drink, and what we need to live. As we partner in the gospel work here on the earth, this is a true promise that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Worry about obedience on your part. Let God worry about the rest. I always get caught up in what if this, what if this, the, the, the fear will stop me, the lack will stop me, the procrastination will stop me. But then I realize that is not the things that I'm to worry about. I'm to cast those anxieties upon God. I'm to cast those fears upon God. There's one thing that I worry about and I worry about my obedience to Jesus and that it. And when I give it all to Jesus, when I sacrifice it all to Jesus, when I put it all before his throne, I know that his promise is true, that my God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whenever somebody partners with our church for the first time, I always send them uh, an email thanking them and I write this verse in because it is sacrifice to give. In our world, it is sacrifice to give. There are so many things that we can consume. But to give is to deeply know one thing, that God is in control, that he is in control of what I need. He is in control of where I will live. He is in control of my thirst and my hunger. And 
He cares about me more than I care about myself or could ever dream of caring about myself. And knowing that, I know that obedience is better to place all that I have in God's hands because he will supply all that I need. So do not let fear stop you. As Elijah said, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Don't let lack stop you as it could have stopped both of these widows in these stories. Don't sit on it. Don't let procrastination stop you anymore. Do the rigorous work to make giving a spiritual discipline of, in your life, to make sacrificial giving a spiritual discipline. This is not a momentary hive like, oh, you know, I'm going to give today and I'm good. Giving is a spiritual discipline in scripture that we work out on a regular and continual basis to destroy the idolatry of greed that has consumed our nation, that has consumed Western culture, that has consumed us in so many ways that we probably don't even realize the spiritual discipline of generosity is how we combat that and allow God to continually transform our life. And as we partner in kingdom work, this is most of all a benefit to us that there is profit that accrues in our account name as we partner in the work of God. This is for our benefit. This is something that grows in our account. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for navigating us away from the way that the world has used money to manipulate, to grab power, to push oppression, Thank you for helping us move away from those things, but instead to use money as a way to serve and to partner and to be generous. God, that as your people, we give up the ways that the world uses and says and does things. We give up our power. We give up our wealth. We give up our position, Lord, to serve in your kingdom. And one of the ways that you call us to do this is to financially partner with it just as the Philippian church generously did out of their extreme poverty with Paul. Lord, help us to be people that when we get uncomfortable talking about these things, that when we get uncomfortable thinking about these things, that we would allow the conviction of your Holy Spirit to dig deep into that uncomfort and see your gospel work be done. Lord, to be like that person who found your kingdom, Lord, then sold all that they had so that they can buy the field in which they found it and possess your kingdom, God, that we would leave nothing out of your control and that we would give it all to you, God. Thank you for calling us to obedience in every way that ultimately this will be, Lord, for our good pleasure that what we walk into in deeper obedience is deeper blessing from you, God, in all the ways that you bless us in peace, in peace and in joy, God, and in your fruit of your spirit, in contentedness, God, in patience and kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.